You're listening to Choose Podcast. Season 1, Drive. Episode 2, Go to Work. Previously on Choose. Okay, so the clock is broken. Never heard of a clock going backwards on its own when it breaks, but that's clearly what's happening, right? No, this is silly, you think. Time can't go backwards. The clock just sucks. I'm just going to get through this day and pick up a new one after work. You go to the closet to find something to wear, then enter the bathroom to freshen up. As you exit, you give the clock on the bed one final glare before walking out. You stop in the kitchen, looking for something to eat before you leave. You open the fridge and peer in, but there isn't anything fast or easy in there. As you stand up, you glance at the microwave clock. 7.45. You freeze for a moment, unsure how to proceed. The rational part of you answers your confusion almost immediately. All the clocks are wrong. They have to be. You forcefully close the fridge and turn, marching out of the kitchen without anything to eat. You grab your keys and walk out of the house into the pleasant spring morning. You're stopped in your tracks again momentarily. Across the street, Mr. and Mrs. Rowe are working on their yard. Mr. is mowing while Mrs. Rowe is raking the grass and leaves already cut. You try not to think about the dream and go to your car. Mrs. Rowe stops raking and waves. Drive safe, dear. You look back at her, astonished. She smiles, but there's something behind it, an emotion you can't quite place. Yes, I will. Thank you, you answer slowly and sit in the driver's seat. Quickly you look around. Images of a jogger and a dog cross your mind. You close your eyes and rub your forehead. That dream again, you think, as you turn the key in the ignition and pull out of the driveway. Near the end of your street, you pass the community park. You find yourself glancing at the park full of joggers and dog walkers, enjoying the warm morning. As you do, another flash, this time of a speeding truck. Ugh, why can't I get this stupid dream out of my head? You focus intently on your driving, trying to ignore the dream and nagging unease. You hope, like most dreams, it fades with the busy day. Not far from your office, however, you get another flashing memory of angry people standing on both sides of the road. The thought makes you anxious and you quickly dip to the right lane and turn to avoid that route. As you finally pull into the garage of your office building, you feel a sense of relief. Cold and corporate, the tower looms above the packed parking garage. Normal and mundane are going to be great after that crazy-ass dream, you think. You're still unsure what time it is, so you jog in through the revolving door, cross the large, bright lobby, and badge pass security. As you approach the elevator, you notice there's no one else standing there. I'm either really early or I'm really late. But at least I don't have to make a lot of stops on the way up, you think, and smile at the little bit of good fortune. The elevator dings and the doors slide open to the empty car. You step in, press your floor, and take a deep breath as you wait and ride. 
When you arrive at your floor, you can hear that everyone is already hard at work at their computers. Past the elevators, your floor opens up to a wide aisle of eight rows of cubicles with four cubicles on each side of the aisle. Surrounding the cubicles are the offices of management. You look around the outside wall and see almost all the blinds are closed or the offices are dark. You quickly make your way down the aisle, glancing at the several cubicles as you go. Each person at the computer has their back to you. No one looks up to greet you and you don't draw extra attention to your arrival. You make your way to your desk, seventh row down, right side, second cubicle, and slide into your chair unnoticed. Nice, you think excitedly. No one will be the wiser unless one of those bosses gets nosy and runs a report. You tap the power button on your computer as you settle into your desk to get some work done. After a few minutes, you notice your screen is still black. You check the monitor, it's powered on. You check the computer, it's humming and already warm. You sigh with a little frustration and dive under your desk to check the connections. Everything seems to be in order. As you sit up and back into your seat, you look at the screen again and freeze. The monitor is a shimmering mess of numbers and letters, columns and lines of garbled code. You briefly remember the object dropped by the jogger in your dream and jump to your feet. There's an explanation for this, you tell yourself, but you're too confused to try processing it. You're suddenly hot and the urge to run itches in your legs. I'm going to find Tim, you say, and turn, moving quickly toward one of the offices on the outer wall. You turn right at the end of the aisle and pass two offices to get to the tech support lead for your floor, Tim Winter. You knock on the closed door and wait anxiously, not letting the growing intrusive thoughts distract you. You stare at the floor as you focus, but then look up, realizing that Tim hasn't answered or called you in. You glance at the office glass. The blinds are closed and the lights are on. He's gotta be in there. Upper management hates it when people leave lights on. Bad for the bottom dollar, you remember. You knock again and wait a few seconds more. Still no response. You grab the handle and slowly enter. Beyond the door is the standard office fair. A small fake fern sits next to a short, wide file cabinet. It's banked on the right by another tall cabinet on the perpendicular wall. Then, the corner of Tim's desk and one of the guest chairs comes into view. The corkboard behind the desk is covered in charts and documents in a ramshackle, unorganized fashion. You fully step into the office to see Tim's high-backed office chair turned away from you and empty. When your eyes finally fall on his computer, your breath hitches. The same scattered code scrawls and jumps across his screen. No, you exhale, backing out of the office. You immediately move to your supervisor's office on the wall left of the cubicles. You get there and find the doors closed and locked. The blinds are also closed and it's dark beyond them. Bill, do you have a minute? You say into the door. A biting thought gets through. You know he's not in there. In the dark. You push it away and turn around to the cubicle directly across from your supervisor's office. Sandy, did you see Bill come? You stop short. Sandy's cubicle is empty. The resident cat lady, whose entire desk is normally covered in all manner of pictures, figurines, and cat-themed inspirational quotes, is not only devoid of Sandy, it's completely cleared. Chester, you call, 
moving to the next cubicle near the wall. Chester would have been a great asset to the department if he stayed off the internet and out of fantasy sports leagues, but that wouldn't be a problem anymore. Chester's desk is also completely empty. The next woman down you didn't know very well, but you went to her desk anyway. Nothing. Then Jadon's. Vacant. You run past the last four rows. Eddie, Regina, Lewis, Alan, all of them empty as if they'd never been occupied. Where is everyone? As you try to reason this all out, you see someone. A tall man in a white shirt with dark pants. He turns the corner at your boss's office and heads toward the break room so quickly you don't get a chance to see who it is. Hey, you say to his back. He doesn't stop, doesn't respond. Hey, you say louder and walk after him. The distance between you is less than 50 feet, but you can't seem to catch up with him. Hey, wait a minute, you call out. The man keeps walking before suddenly turning into the break room. You dart after him and turn the same corner. Hey, didn't you hear- A chill creeps over you. The break room is empty as you stand in the only way in or out. How? Where? You stammer. You back up into the hallway in confusion. Out of your periphery, you see someone else. You look, and a short blonde woman in a pink suit crosses the outside aisle near the elevators. Is that Gina? You nearly run back toward the elevators. When you get to the spot where you saw her, she's nowhere to be seen. You go back to the central aisle, passing empty cubicles that had people in them less than ten minutes ago. Gina? You shout. There's no response. You walk swiftly and turn left at the last set of offices. She's not there either, and all the offices are dark. You go to each one, trying each handle on each door, each one locked like the last. You turn the corner again to the offices on the same wall as Tim's. All the blinds are closed now, barring view from the dark offices. You rush back to the central aisle, panicking and nearly unable to keep those dangerous, intrusive thoughts at bay anymore. Then, you see him again. The tall man in a white shirt with dark pants. Hey! You scream at him. You charge down the central aisle, not even checking the cubicles anymore. The man doesn't turn, but you see him push the call button for the elevators. As you approach, you bark at the man. Hey, I'm talking to you! He gives no response. You reach out and touch his shoulder. The instant you do, he pivots to face you. The tall man, in the white shirt with dark pants, has no face. In its place is blackness. A light-absorbing void, giving no indication of depth or dimension. You try to scream, but the sound is trapped in your throat. As the elevator opens, the tall man slowly moves toward you, his hand lifting from his side, raising it in your direction. You recoil from him, sidling into the elevator quickly and mashing the close button repeatedly. There's a brief delay before the doors close, and outside the elevator you see the tall man continuing to turn, following your path of movement into the elevator. As the doors finally shut, his turn is complete enough for you to catch a final glimpse of that empty space in his head, pointed at you almost curiously. As the elevator trundles to the ground floor, you can't stop shaking. What is happening? All the people, the shit with the computers, and what the hell was that thing at the elevator? 
This is too unreal, but I know I'm not dreaming. I can't be. The elevator slows and you brace yourself for what may be outside. It sighs to a stop and the doors slide open. From where you stand, the lobby appears empty. You take a careful step forward and peer out. There are no people, no sound. The doors jerk as if to close and you leap out. You look back to see if someone has called the elevator back up, but you don't hear any mechanism starting. In fact, you don't hear anything. Your building is a busy high-rise housing several companies, but on a weekday morning the lobby is deserted. You think for a moment that maybe it's actually a weekend and you've come all the way to work for nothing. No, you second guess. There were people on my floor at first. Plus, security and some other people are still in the building on weekends. You think again of the faceless phantom upstairs and decide you need to get out of the building. You skirt across the lobby and out the doors leading back to the garage. Same as your floor, the once full garage is vacant except for your singular car. Anxiously, you run back to it. You get in and immediately lock the door. Against what, you're not even sure. The dashboard clock reads 731. Again with the fucking time? That's impossible. None of this is. Extremely rattled, you close your eyes and take a deep breath. Okay, I need to calm down. Think about this. There is someone somewhere. The building can't be empty. Neither can the city. I can find an explanation for this. This seems silly to you, wandering the city for help like a lost kid. But what's the alternative? I could go home. Maybe I missed a major event on the news. I didn't bother to turn on the TV this morning. But going home to hide seems almost as childish as the first option. You look around the eerily quiet garage, unsure of what to do next. If you think you should search the city, keep looking in Episode 4. If you think you need more information, go home to Episode 5. Choose Podcast is written and produced by Kids Knife. Music and sounds provided by Joseph McDade, Purple Planet, and Royalty Free Sources. Links to it all can be found in the episode notes. Transcripts and episode lists are also available at ChoosePodcast.com. If you're enjoying Choose, please consider supporting us on Patreon by following us on Facebook and Twitter, rating and reviewing us on iTunes, and most of all, sharing the journey with your friends. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, there's always a choice.